You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, and this is episode 29. This week, Daniela is still not with me, and so the the we in the intro is actually just me this week. But I would like to get to a few news, news stories that were missed over the last couple weeks during interviews, which if you have not listened to any of the interviews over the last couple weeks, I highly recommend it. Uh, there was uh, Amanda and Ben both talking about fermentation and uh, most recently the one with, with Ben talking about cheese rinds and microbiology. Definitely check those out. I have more fermentation interviews planned in the near future. In the meantime, this week will be rather short. Just a few updates, so if you don't have much time, this is a perfect episode for you. And or if you're still catching up on some of those other interviews, this will give you more of a chance and give you a little bit more time to do that. But be prepared for more interviews in the future and also next week back to a regularly scheduled program with Daniela actually being back on the show. But here's a few different things that I found in, in the news over the last few weeks since last recording a independent episode. So the first one being Space Station microbiome experimentation. So looking at the microbiome, the human microbiome, the bacteria in our gut and everything going on with that. And instead of just measuring the microbiome on earth, instead looking at space flight and space travel and how that affects the microbiome, this may be interesting for any science fiction futures or science realities of the future of, of travel. How does space flight affect the microbiome and the bacteria the microorganisms in our gut, on our body, on our skin. And so samples are being taken pre-flight, in-flight, and post-flight. And then they're tracking diet, environmental conditions, and they're using nine subjects to study. This is the first study that NASA has done. Russia's done some other studies like this. Didn't find a whole lot of information about that. But now, arguably, there's a lot more technology uh, understanding and so these may be very interesting studies as a way to understand a little bit more what kind of diseases are people are are flight space flight travelers more prone to or maybe less prone to by space flight what are microbes outside of the earth's atmosphere how does it affect them kind of an interesting thing i again think it's interesting for maybe once the public starts doing more space travel or sp- space exploration and uh, landing on future planets in science fiction related kind of ways. It'd be interesting to see does the can the human microbiome survive long term space travel, flight changes, all those kind of things. I'm sure it can, but is it good for us? We will just have to wait and see. On another note, looking at yogurt liqueur sounds kind of interesting. Seems surprising that they're. Hasn't been anything like that before, and so maybe there has. But there's Lucas Bowles Amsterdam that has released a yogurt liqueur that's uh, claiming that it's a, a real fresh yogurt. And there's just a link from Serious Eats about someone trying it. And it says it kind of smells like sweetened yogurt with a boozy flavor, which makes sense. It's only about 15% alcohol, so not really much different than wine. But uh, in the comments was actually where it was interesting. If you like to mix drinks, whey might be an interesting thing if you haven't tried that before. Basically, I've heard of things like, obviously, olives and then also pickle juice. And now add whey to that list of 
potential things to mix into your drinks. Another place that looks really interesting is, which I had just recently heard about and then saw an article about, is Shed Fermentation Bar. And it's in uh, Northern California. And it's the, the the thing I liked was the, the quote at the beginning the journalist used was, uh, isn't it something along the lines of Michael Pollan had used the, the words drink weird stuff, mostly fermented, not too much? Well, that's that's kind of like, like what he had said. And I kind of like that a little bit as well. And uh, there's an, a, a fermentation bar. It's mainly focusing on spirits, uh, wines, and uh, also on kombucha. So a person can get kombucha on tap. And there's other places where you can get kombucha on tap. But that's uh, another interesting place that does all that the shed seems to be doing a lot of interesting things in, in food in general. So another article to check out. Then you can again find all of these things in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 29 still not done though. There's still a few more to go. One of them is music for vines claiming to improve wine production. And this is kind of seems like pseudoscience to me at this point. And there probably still needs to be a lot more research done on it, but it is interesting. German wine grower has been playing classical music to his wine as it ferments. And he's claiming that it results in better quality wines with more body and richer aroma. How this is working, why it's working, if it's even working for sure, are still up for question. But this is what he is claiming. And yeah, it seems probably or possibly like it's nothing, but he's he's basing it off the claims that frequencies, different waves do affect human immune system and otherwise haven't really looked into that. Don't know how much legitimacy there is to that either. But if that is so, why not have that happen with plants as well? So for one hour a day, every day during the 10 week fermentation process, Christian Butts is from, from Southern Germany is exposing these wine, his maturing wine to music from uh, the classical, just different classical music. It looks like. So he's playing it for the fermenting grapes, not for the, the vines. It doesn't, doesn't look like not for the, the grapes growing, but once they're actually fermenting. And then there's a wine expert that's talking about how we have been unable to find any analytical or sensory evidence that sound waves have any effect. So it's not like this is something that's been proven or shown or anything in that regard. It's just this is a guy doing it. Supposedly he's done some blind tests where people prefer his wine over non-classical music played and fermented wine grapes. But I didn't see anything about that study or his blind taste test either. So I don't know how legitimate that really is. But the there's still plenty of scientific analysis that's hopefully people are going to do and make it make it either legitimate or total pseudoscience and false. But the interesting thing is that they're, they're 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 trying to say that the yeast is reacting to the sound waves, and in that sense, it's not exactly sure what's going on. Maybe the sound waves are helping to mix the the sugars with the yeast, and they're for speeding up the fermentation process in some and in the beginning stages, which potentially could have some effect on flavor, be it good or bad. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Then there is the second to last article of today, and it's looking at fermentation in of of kimchi in Korea actually making people sick. And specifically, these are studies that have been done from Cambridge studying seven different schools 
where there were uh, 1,642 people sickened by outbreaks of E. coli, and they're calling it uh, E. coli O169. And it's in school children who have been consuming kimchi, which seems very interesting considering that in the United States there has never been any known case of fermented vegetables causing illness. And so this is interesting looking at this. It's it's also from one specific food producer. So that may have something to do with as to how this happened. But uh, when we're when we're looking at this study, it's the enterotoxigenic E. coli or ETEC, which is recognized as a common cause for foodborne illness in outbreaks. And in seven schools in Korea, two uh, two of the schools, they found radish kimchi to be associated with illness. And in five of the other schools, the radish or cabbage kimchi were found to be at, at, at risk, at higher risk for food illness. So it's it's interesting. I'd be interested to see where this goes or if it's just this one food company that produced the kimchi for all seven schools. So that may very well have just been this a very isolated thing with this one company. Maybe it wasn't actually being fermented for very long, therefore not protecting it in the same way. But again, somewhere in the world, E. coli outbreaks in fermented vegetables. Interesting. You can view the both the article on Barf blog which I was not familiar with until finding this article, but very interesting. And then you can also go on to and look at the the Cambridge Journal Journal article as well. And the last article for today is comes from Flavor Journal, and it is about the taste of cutlery and how the taste of food is affected by the weight, size, shape, and color of the cutlery used to consume it. And so this this article is or this study is looking at how t- our taste perception of different foods, this one being yogurt was for the study, and also looking at cheese and a few other foods, how that affects the way a person perceives the sweetness, the saltiness, and other factors of these these foods, which is very interesting. There have been other studies done on plate size and plate color and how that affects things. If you eat food on a smaller plate, it's going to a a person is going to perceive that they are eating more at least in general that's that's generally the consensus for that given those kind of studies that have been done but this one is looking it it was three experiments that investigated whether food tastes different when there are differences in the visual and tactile properties and so they were taking which kind of lessens the the interest to me a little bit because they were looking at plastic spoons but i guess the the concept with this is well looking at plastic spoons from retail establishments that are selling yogurts. And I'm assuming that this was not a frozen yogurt, but that's the only time I really think of people using plastic spoons. But uh, this is over in, this is a study done over in Europe. So because I can tell because flavor is spelled with that extra U in there for flavor, flavor. And, and so maybe there are some differences, just cultural differences in this study as well. But in general, it is understood that people are, affected taste is affected by all these different kinds of things i would even say argue that taste is affected and is very complicated in the sense of environmentally experientially it depends on where a person is it depends on what kind of person the mood a person is in that's where these kind of studies sure they do make a difference but at the same time how much of a difference does it make as opposed to if a person was tasting these same things in a uh, non-clinical situation 
how much does the surrounding area like should the what if they were doing this this same test in a fancy restaurant with plastic spoons i don't know how well that'd roll but in in the sense of what if they were in a in a high quality restaurant and they were doing these same kind of sampling tests would that affect it differently than a sterile scientific in, environment and 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 would it sway them in drastic ways or would it be consistently similar? Just maybe they might still perceive it different or rate it differently as it compared to that. I don't know. But anyway, back to this study, it's looking at they were they were looking at they were varying the weight, size and color of the different utensils used. And the participants rated the sweetness, the saltiness and the perceived value and overall liking of the food that they tasted when they were tasting a, a yogurt from a lighter plastic spoon as compared to an artificially weighted spoon, then the, the, they, they liked that yogurt or maybe they didn't like it more, but they perceived it as denser and more expensive. So the lighter, the spoon, the denser and more expensive, the yogurt appeared if they used a, and I don't know how they were weighting these spoons, but if they used an artificially weighted spoon, so one that felt heftier, although a, a plastic spoon that feels hefty, I don't know, maybe if it was a, a nice, nice silver spoon and a nice weighted silver spoon, maybe that'd be different. But when we're talking plastic, I don't know how much that is, that is affecting things, but then the size of the spoon and the, the spoon weight, the, that, that had to do also with the sweetness of the yogurt. And also the taste was affected by the color of the, of the utensil used. So it, it was interesting with the white, a white spoon with white yogurt was perceived to be of highest quality. Whereas with pink yogurt, that was not the case. Some of the, one of the other spoons, I don't have it in my notes right now, but go to the, the, the notes and, and, and find it is that the, the color was affected, but also the color of the yogurt affected how it was perceived by the other spoons. Therefore easy enough to us, draw a few assumptions out there that it's the color contrast that's actually affecting the taste perception of these these different yogurts as well so it's not only the color of the food but the color and how it contrasts with the color of the serving utensil or you could extrapolate into looking at cups and bowls and spoons and and, and everything but otherwise if you want to look beyond yogurt with cheese cheese on a knife Direct, eaten directly off a knife taste saltier to these participants. So another interesting aspect. So if you really like salt and you really like salty cheese, then maybe cut it off with the knife and then serve it directly from the knife. It will taste saltier. Now they did argue that this could be the case of experiential bias in the sense of someone going to a cheesemonger, going into a cheese shop and getting served tastes of cheese are generally straight from a knife as opposed to being served some other way. And so it may be that perception that is altering their, because maybe they're getting saltier cheeses from the cheesemonger directly from the knife. And so therefore they assume or preconceived notions that all cheese that is served on a knife is going to be saltier. But if someone has that and they are trying to cut back on salt, I guess, if that's an issue for people, then that, that this might be a way to do it is eat all your cheese off of a knife. Or if you just really like salt, eat everything from a knife. Just try not to cut your tongue. And on that note, I hope that everyone has enjoyed this shorter version of Firm Up this week. Again, back to a full topic uh, next week. And then in the following weeks, there are a few more guests, special guests. 
But until then, firm up.